So today on the show, we have Shannon, and uh, I honestly don't know too much about her, but I'm about to find out. She has quite the amazing, inspiring story of her own multiple transformations that she's been through in her life. So um, Shannon, welcome to the show. And uh, Hello, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> I know we probably have a lot to talk about today, but um, maybe you want to start off just from the beginning, like how did everything start? I understand that you had the same cancer that Terry Fox had as a child. Now, were, were you born with that? No, I, um, I was actually diagnosed when I was 10 and I had the amputation two days after my 11th birthday. Okay. And, yeah. uh, wow. and then from there, and then from there I underwent, uh, eight months of intravenous chemotherapy. Wow. So, and then did the, I, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I understand, did the, uh, did you losing your lung, which I understand happened, did that happen shortly um, after? Yeah, the it happened. Um, I went, I had the eight months of chemotherapy and I went into remission and I was in remission for 22 months. And then um, I had the reoccurrence in my lower lobe of my right lung. And then from there I did, I had another six months of intravenous chemotherapy. Oh wow! So yeah. what? What? Okay. So what? It was life changing. I have to ask you: at the age of eleven years old, how did you feel when you were diagnosed with that? What was going through your mind? So, um, I think like in our pre in our little pre talk, I had told you like I've always been a school nerd, and um, when I was sick, my biggest concern wasn't even the fact like I knew I was dying. But my biggest concern was, how was I going to make it through my school year and be able to make it to grade seven? And I thought about, I thought about it and thought about it. I voiced my opinion to my parents. My parents thought I was crazy. They're like, Shannon, like, do you understand the seriousness? Like, I know you're young, but like, I'm like, I know I'm going to lose my leg. I know I have cancer. I know that this is supposed to be for like Nana and grandpa, not for me. Um, but my reality was, is that I, I needed to stay strong. And if I was just going to lie there and just dwell on it, like I remember the day I was told my mom started bawling because she already knew, but I didn't. And I was in this small room, not much bigger than a powder room, actually. And I had my surgeon, his intern doctor. I had um, my head nurse, I had nurse of the ward I was on, my parents, my, uh, my youngest sister. And I was told, I, I was told bluntly that I had cancer, I had six months to live, and that chemotherapy and the amputation weren't even a guarantee to save my life, but it was the only hope. Oh, wow. So what? And those were basically, and those are basically the, the exact words, too. And it wasn't the fact that, you know, I was, I was obviously a minor, so my parents obviously had to sign my amputation for, um, for them to be able to continue to try to save my life. And... But the doctors had to have my confirmation that I agreed to the amputation. And I just sat there and I just, I think maybe it was shock at first. And um, I just said, you know what? Like, I'm 11. I just turned 11. And the doctor's like, yeah. And I'm like, 
if you take my leg and this works, I could still live to be like 80 or 90, like my grandparents will. And there, the doctor's like, well, that's what we're trying for. That's what our, that's what our goal would be. I'm like, well, then, then you have to take my leg because like, I got a life to live. <laughs> my mother, my mother, I'll never forget the look in her face when I said that. Because I think it was, a, um, I think she was relieved that I was able to accept it. But I also think that she was like saddened and heartbroken that something so mature. And I think that was the most mature thing I, I had said to that at that point. So, so you I, obviously still had a drive to continue on, you know, you had stuff to do and you weren't letting, I had stuff to do. And, um, and another part of my reality is that when I got diagnosed with cancer, my grandfather was already battling his own throat cancer. And, um, we were each other's rock. We were the only two in the family with cancer and anybody in the world can tell you, you know, like, I understand, I empathize. And those are very comforting words, but nobody truly understands what it's like to actually take a breath. It may not have been like, you know, it might not have been any strain on you, but you take that breath and you, you just pray that it's not going to be your last breath because everything else in your body feels like it's not there. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. you know, even my worst enemies as an adult, um, I, I don't wish that upon anybody. I really don't. No. Because the, the psychological, like everything for me was like, for people could, like even to this day, people can see like that I have an amputation. It's a result that Shannon had cancer. But like the biggest battle for me was dealing with, was dealing with the mental struggles. Um, you know, when you lose a limb, your brain doesn't compute the fact that it's missing. So that's where phantom pain and phantom sensation comes in. And those still, things don't go, it's 37 years and I still yeah. get phantom pain and phantom sensation. Oh, that's a, that's terrifying and fascinating at the same time, you know? It, it is, it, but at the same time, for me, it's just yeah. like a reality, like, yeah. oh man, like, you know, I already have a constant reminder. I already get lots of questions, um, you know, and, I've even had like some of the worst things been said to me that I don't even understand that can even come out of somebody's mouth who, you know, has an ounce of compassion for humanity. Um, oh, wow. I was bullied. I was even bullied a lot during school. Yeah. Um, it, school, to be quite honest, like I loved it. Like, so, like I was a book nerd, but the social aspect, it crushed me. It crushed me to a point where between grade 11 and 12, I had tried to commit suicide three times and end up in the psych ward. Um, that was that I, mainly I, from the bullying. That was from that was that was primarily from the yeah. bullying that I was enduring during grade eleven, the grade eleven uh, year. Yeah. You know, like I couldn't even. I'd ride my bike to school, you know, and I might be wearing a pair of shorts because you know, like July. I mean, June is hot, and you're wearing shorts too. But you know. It would be like, oh, Shannon, the peg leg is wearing shorts. It was just always just silly comments. Yeah, it was awful. You know, and all through school, like, except for college, my, my parents, you know, they fought to keep me in phys ed. Like, I had a school fighting to keep me off out of phys ed. Meanwhile, I was skiing for the national team. Uh, you know, I was, yeah. it, it was, it was really struggling. So if I didn't have school, I, I seriously think, like, uh, in my grandfather, that I think that things would have 
things could have been quite different for me. The school helped ground you and helped you keep, to keep focus and to maybe strive for a type of and purpose. Yeah, and I also think that school was like the one constant that I had prior to being an amputee and I had it after. You know, it was the one thing that nobody could take away from me. Yeah. Because as long as I was, I had an active mind, and as long as I, you know, I had the desire and the motivation to learn, I, you know, a person can learn and do anything they want. They just have to have the motivation to do it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going in for a lobotomy. I was going in for an amputation. So I was just, so I, I stuck to school. So over the years, and, did the bullying get better eventually? Uh, the bullying didn't get better until I moved to the East Coast three years ago. Oh, really? Wow. So it continued. Even as an adult, you know, really? you know, I, I was born and raised in Toronto. It's a beautiful city, but it's not a nice city sometimes. No. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, like I would go into grocery stores and just people making comments like, you're really in public looking like that. And I'm like, well, have you looked in the mirror today? Kind of thing. Like, are we really, we're doing the same thing. We're buying groceries for our family, right? Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't even make any sense, really. That's, no, and I had more people like just shun me and stuff. And then I come to the East Coast, and it was like, wow, like, am I still in Canada? Like, I felt like Dorothy in Wizard of Oz because I was just like, this is so opposite to Ontario. I have people, I have cashiers and and um, stores stock um shelf employees who offered to like help me with my groceries to the grocery store um i've never been offered that in ontario yeah it's More- crazy to, to like see the different demographics of between people of different cities like that. And it's, it's true like and i've even been walking down the street and i've had uh, a couple cab drivers offer me free rides just because like they didn't want to see me walking down the street in ontario like you don't there's just that sense of humanity. Yeah. I wonder you know? if it's because like a uh, big cities, you know, it's big disconnection because it's a little more busy and stuff and there's more people. So I understand that, but the bigger the city you are, the more diverse yeah. you're supposed to be and you're supposed to stand just, out from the rest. That's what makes yeah, you an urban. I know it's like a paradox, like, but at the same time, they're so disconnected. So they don't, they're disconnected from you. So they're not going to relate to you and have compassion. Whereas here it's more spaced out. So people are, I don't know, I guess more used to connecting genuinely with people and might have a little bit more compassion. Yeah. <laughs> but, I think you're right. <laughs> so we, I just want to go back to when you were a child. Like, I mean, were you terrified when, the, when this was diagnosed and you were going through all this? You, you want to know something? Chemotherapy was more terrifying than the actual disease. Yeah. To this day, yeah, I maintain I, the same I've opinion. I've heard that before. I've heard you know, that before from other survivors of different types. You know, it's 37 years later, and I look back at it, and some people may say that, you know, you need to leave the past in the past and, you know, and move forward. Well, newsflash is, is that when you experience something like that and you have a physical reminder every single day that that one thing happened, um, keeping the past in the past is no longer a thing that you're able to maintain. No, I mean, that, you're, exactly what you said there. It's a constant reminder. So you pretty much have no right? choice but to right. go back to that every day. So what, what do you right. do to, to be strong when, when those reminders are in front of you every single day? Well, what? I was very, very fortunate that while I was going through my bouts of cancer, 
um, my grandfather and my father were uh, such wise men. Like maybe when I was younger, I, I didn't think that so much, but it, I couldn't have been, I couldn't have been luckier and more blessed than to have the two male role models that every child dreams of having that I actually had because I had a grandfather who was battling his own deal with cancer. So like, you know, he was going through the same terrors, the same thoughts, the same, everything that I was going through. And he still managed to come and see me every single day and told me, Shannon, only the strong survive this disease. And the only way for you to be strong is to keep your mind strong. So between him and my parents, Within days, I had a science tutor, a math tutor, and an English tutor in Sick Kids Hospital downtown Toronto. I guess that, school, that support... Like I said, school grounded me. I was in school. I was in the hospital like 90% of my grade six year, and I came out of that year still with the highest marks in the class. That's amazing. And I don't say that, and I don't say that to gloat. I say that because like... Children have security blankets. We have pacifiers. Little kids take around security blankets. School was just like my security blanket. It was the one thing that, like I said, nobody could ever take away from me. So the best I made of it, the, you know, the stronger I thought my security was. No, exactly. And, and so you went on to, like, with your schooling to go to film school. Is that correct? Yeah, and before I went to film school, I graduated. I, I, I worked. I managed a hair salon. I graduated from hairdressing school. Oh really? Okay, so that yeah. so film school I managed was a hair down salon. the road. <laughs> yeah, I managed a hair salon for ten years, yeah. um, and I've also uh, so I that I went to film school, and I also have my hospitality, and that's why I was working in a hotel. Um, but at the hotel, pardon me, I also got to use a lot of my film creativity because a job posting came inside the hotel, so um, that led me from night manager and night auditor to the hotel writer where I wrote the internal and external um, newsletters and I wrote the blog for the hotel. Oh, that's amazing. So I was able, so I was able to incorporate like uh, a lot of the things that I've already, that I was learning in that job. So um, yeah, uh, the school, but I mean, if I backtracked when I was younger and I mentioned my grandfather, but my dad, you know, that man made me do some things that at the time I thought were the most absurd, ridiculous things that a person could ask another person to do who, who had just lost a part of themselves, like physically. Yeah. And one of those things was downhill skiing. I, I, I have to be honest and say, I think it was the first time I ever swore at my father. <laughs> I had some real choice words. Just yeah. use your imagination. I'm sure they came out of my mouth because he wanted me to, to join a ski team. I didn't even ski with two legs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my first day, I'm going to Chicopee, I'm going not Chicopee, I'm going to uh, Shadok Mountain in, in Hamilton, Ontario. And I'm cursing, I'm swearing, I'm like, how do you think I'm going to do this? How do you feel, what if I fall? Aren't you going to feel bad that I just lost my leg and I'm down on it? Oh, I was putting on the guilt trip heavy. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I'm still stubborn, but I'm still getting myself geared up and I'm still getting ready for that hill, right? Yeah. And uh, to the left of me was, was like a much um, greater incline in the hill. And I could just see them like, like just like I'd seen on the Olympics going through the gates, right? And I'm like, what are they doing? 
because that seems a lot like more fun because I'm on the baby hill because I just I'm just learning right and they're like that's the ski team I'm like well why didn't my dad sign me up for that because that looks like a lot of fun (laughs) and they're like Shannon everybody on that hill started on this hill I'm like all right so how long did it take them like that same season they said no don't expect much don't expect much well that same season like three weeks later I'm trying out for that ski team um and my dad he's like see you can do anything like and you're just that person i'm like dad i still think this is nuts i'm loving it but i still think you're nuts because like i was still foreseeing like i was gonna like die on a hill because i had one leg right yeah you must have had some sort of drive if you kept doing it (laughs) well yeah because my dad is like and it was the drive that i was winning and i was getting that competitive edge right that's good. And, and I took that competitive edge to, to pull me through my lung cancer. And, um, but like, yeah, that first season I was on the, I got on the team and then we uh, go to Collingwood to Blue Mountain and Craigleaf for provincials. My coach, my assistant coach, uh, team heads were all telling me, Shannon, you're doing good on this circuit this year. But now we're stepping it up because we're like, you know, this is the province. Now you're, you're like on your, like, this is like heading towards the nationals, being on the national team. I'm like, I'm just going to do what I do every other race. I'm just going to ski. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like, that's all I, that's how I consider it. Well, like, hey, if it was working for you, I keep doing it. <laughs> right. And uh, well, um, that race, I was told that I'm not to expect anything. And I got, and I got a silver medal and uh-huh. my time made it i i qualified right at that race for the national team i didn't even oh. have to go to the nationals yeah i like, right to the national team and then i went out to banff uh to train and whatnot and came forth in canada uh, <laughs> yeah that was crazy was a crazy time <laughs> but you know that's where but that's also where i learned freedom yeah i i the, the exhilaration have you ever skied uh like you no, don't? I, I haven't okay. like, cross country so, skied for like pretty much the first time this last year <laughs> downhill skiing is like car racing and i love both yeah. and um it, the adrenaline boost that you get the sense of freedom that you get i can't even explain it after everything that was so dark and everything that was so clouded and i didn't even know if tomorrow even existed like the next hour like I, like my next hour wasn't even a guarantee and to be on that hill and to be as free and to not think of any of that i think that's the part my dad was getting at i don't think it had anything to do with me skiing with one leg oh, i no, think exactly. he just wanted me he just wanted me to do as much normal as i possibly could because he because he could probably see what, what i was going through you know in puberty like i was going through puberty i was going through all kinds of things all at the same time and uh, it was wild. And then, then I turned 16, and he's like, I think you need to ride horses. I'm like, hey, Dad. You're... I, uh, I fell for your first crazy, and I succeeded. But I don't know if I could do crazy number two. And he's like, come on. He's like, you could just – horses are so graceful. They're so human-like. You'll connect, and you'll just be – and he also saw my struggles being bullied. And uh, I think he just wanted me to, to just – 
had that escape again when I was 16 and struggling with bullying really, really bad. Uh, there too, I had no desire to ride a horse. Yeah. And now at 48, <laughs> they're like my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I used to, and then from that, like I went recreationally and I started showing um, Western and English. My, my horse came fifth in North America. And then, and then I went to horse. Then I started. Then that got boring. Like then I started going to the racetrack with some of my friends from work, and it was like, why are we working with racehorses? Because this looks a lot more fun. And again, that competitive edge, right? And, just, yeah. and yeah, so off to the race circuit I went. So I used to live in Florida in the winter and to train yearlings and bring them back to Ontario and race them all on the summer circuit. <laughs> And so, did, did you win all of those too? <laughs> I, can, I I took care of a couple of uh, I took care of a million dollar horse and another. If you've no horse racing at all, you know anything about Abercrombie Fitch? I took care of that horse for about a week and a half while it's groom. That was trying because that's one of the most expensive horses on the race circuit. So <laughs> to be that grooming for a week and a half, it felt like yeah. ten years. <laughs> Oh yeah, I bet that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I mean, we haven't even been through like half your story, and you've already proven multiple times that you know whatever you set your mind to, you can achieve. You know, after I lost my leg, you know, you're in elementary school, and you always hear your teachers say, you know, never say you can't do something because you can do it. After I lost my leg. That became so relevant to my life because now I was on a mission. I was on my inner, my, on my inner competition, I think, yeah. in the beginning, to prove to people that like, just because I lost my leg didn't mean I couldn't do the same things as you. And my parents, like my parents were battling with me going, going into the regular school. So they battled with me being able to take phys ed and me being able to just, just do school. Like, Put me in a room in the school. I don't care. Like I'm not really here for the friends. I'm here to, because I, I'm, a, I guess I'm addicted to learning or something. Because <laughs> it's, I'm still that way. I, you know, I'm a filmmaker, and I have to say that documentaries are probably my favorite thing. Yeah, and you know, I just feel like you know the, the only limitations we have in life are the limitations we put upon ourselves. Oh, that's like the main motto that I live by. You know? And you know, and our and like our minds are capable. They're like a, it's like a sponge, and we only use ten percent of it to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. You know, why not broaden it a bit? There's some room yeah. in there. You know, yeah. you can actually expand your knowledge. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I like learning too. Is just the constant, uh, constant improvement of knowledge. You know, yeah. and then you can apply that knowledge and just uh, you know do more fun things. <laughs> I completely agree. You know, and life's too short. We only get one try at it. Yeah, I know. So, uh, you know, if you're a baseball player, at least you get three strikes. <laughs> you don't get the same <laughs> in the game of life. <laughs> That's true, exactly. Just just go yeah. for something, something that you want. Just go for it. And I always say that. You know, I went through transformations myself, not quite as uh, profound as yours. I mean, I, I guess I, I lost like 115 pounds and I overcame like um, – different addictions and right. 
I had mental illness that I was on medication for, and I uh, had a bunch of different physical diseases and just physical injuries too, like shoulder dislocations, knee knee injuries, uh, ACL tear, and all that stuff. And I overcame them all, and um, and even just other transformations in my life, such as like financial and career, and even just like becoming a better person and creating more friends around me and stuff. But one thing I totally learned is that, you know, people believe that things are impossible, but I have just proven myself in my own life that so many things that people think aren't possible. I have proved to be possible myself. So, right. I I even, I think my survival period, (laughs) um, because I still question it, you know. Yeah. Um, I I survived osteosarcoma bone cancer is is no joke. No. Um, it really is no joke, and there's a lot of times I ask myself like, how the hell did I succumb to that? Like, how? Like, because according to science, like, if you go according to even today's technology, like I shouldn't be here. Yeah. Right. You're a miracle. <laughs> Well, I wouldn't go that now far. You, now you can make miracles happen, right? <laughs> uh, maybe somebody made a miracle happen to me. Maybe I had an earth angel who helped me uh, get that far. Hey, your grandfather sounds like one of those earth angels. He's definitely one of those people. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so what drove your passion to film? And have you done any projects in the past at all? or? Yeah, I worked with Robin Williams and Christopher Walken just before Robin Williams passed away. We worked on Man of the Year. Really? Yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've worked, I've, I've, I don't know how many music video concepts I have written and I've produced for various artists, whether here, in, whether in Ontario or um, another rap artist who's from Boston. Um, I did that. I've worked on a several documentaries one of my own that was nominated for uh i was nominated for documentary of the year uh it was based on children with cancer and a camp that i went to for kids with cancer in ontario that um is through sick kids hospital um it's called camp Uchigayas. and when i was sick it would, uh, there was a team of doctors and nurses who were putting together a pilot project and i remember while i was in the hospital being you know Sick Kids is an amazing place. It's not just a hospital. Like when I say I was in a meeting room, it was more like an auditorium, <laughs> and uh, and there were several other par- parents there and whatnot. And what they were doing, trying to you know keep that normal in the child's life who's sick, and but still be able to get their medicines and and have it safe. So they created Camp Uchigayas, where kids with cancer couldn't. It wasn't just about going to camp. Um, you could go to camp and get your chemotherapy administered and you were surrounded by people who didn't stereotype you and place stigmas on you just because you were a child who had no hair and maybe lost a limb or maybe has, you know, like a intra, an intravenous line ring from the heart. So they might look a little different, you know, without even really knowing that that child would do anything to trade places with you for just five minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. Just for five minutes, you know, mm-hmm. just for five minutes to just to get out of your nightmare and to know that, like, you know, like, ding dong, there is life, you know. 
just like you mentioned at the beginning, you related a lot to your grandfather and that support system and just knowing that someone's going through the same thing as you. Something that we all need, regardless of what experience we're going through, but especially when we're going through a difficult one. Yeah, my, like, my grandfather has uh, been gone for uh, almost 16 years. Yeah. And what's I, I say ironic because three days before he passed in a hospital in Toronto, he had called me and asked me, to go see him. Like he said, like, do you have time where you could just drop things and come now? And he wasn't that kind of person. Like he would never, if he asked you to do something, like it was always at your convenience. He never put the fact that I need your help and this is when it has to be done. If it's convenient for you, like then let's do it. Yeah. And, but he was so adamant. And so I get there and he's like, so have you decided what you're doing? I'm like, grandpa, you know, I managed in the hair salon, ended up with carpal tunnel, and now I'm just like at a crossroads. I don't know. I have a love for interior design and building, and I also have a love for film. And Grandpa, I love cars too, so like, you know, mechanics could also be thrown in there. And he's like, girl, he's like, you already know what you need to be doing. You're just not doing it. And can I tell you something? Yeah. Last summer, last summer living in Ten City, was the first time I knew what that something was. What and what and was that something? That something was to carry on his legacy of being a humanitarian and fighting for human rights. And do you think kind that of, your time in Ten City is what kind of really? Well, that to you? if I tell you, could you you keep on going back to my grandfather? Um, yeah. My grandfather was instrumental in bringing Black rights into Canada. My grandfather started the teachers' fight generation that started here in the east coast and also the the fisheries and, wood, and and woodworkers unions that also started out here in the in the east coast were founded by my grandfather um i spent many years as a little girl in ndp constituency offices and just like i mean i was i loved it maybe that empowered me before i got sick i don't know <laughs> i remember and giving out bumper stickers and socks and be like vote NDP. Meanwhile, like I was just out of diapers. Like I had a while to go before I could even vote. <laughs> and <laughs> it was just his inspiration. He was he was all about the people, you know. And just watching him on that kind of level, and then to be his granddaughter, and you know, sit around family gatherings, and he'd be the first one, you know. I remember when he, we we all like, and I'm talking physically, um, built his his uh, in ground pool in a in a home that him and my grandmother had built. And so there's all of us. It's my uncles or like all the men. And here's Shannon out there trying to help these guys. And they're digging the hole and we're getting trees shipped in and we're making this yard. And the minute that pool, those pool chemicals said it was safe for him to go in the water. I'm not even joking when I tell you that construction boots with mud, jeans, everything. He just dove right in. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, that's living. Yeah. He, he wanted something. He didn't ask anybody else to do it. He built it himself. <laughs> and, and now he's just like reaping in the rewards. And I'm like, it really is that simple. It sounds like some of his, uh, his drive to, to live and his drive to experience things like that rubbed off on you quite a bit. Absolutely. And being in Tent City and being in the East Coast where he started, like, like he was born in Victoria, BC. And made his way to Ontario and then, you know, thought it was a good place to start was, and I guess it was because the teachers federations all over the nation, we have 
black communities everywhere in our country and there, there should have been from the beginning yeah. um, you know there's a lot of things there's unions a lot of people gripe and groan about unions but your job security comes from a union so i don't know in these times and days i think some people are probably fortunate that they're in a union job yeah that's true I, I you know mixed reviews about unions but of course every experience is subjective right? anyway right and yeah. i'm just and so a lot of the things that he has that he started things that he succeeded in i've heard his voice so much since i've been down here and it's been the most chaotic that my life has ever been but sometimes i feel like i needed to go through that in order to see what my purpose was you know what and to actually follow through with it yeah i feel the same with my own journey you know and i there's there's a weird sense that there's a deeper meaning behind things and, and i think you can relate where when you, when you go through something and go through transformation you start to see eventually that like okay i went through that so that i can do this like for me i mean i, I feel like i went through my transformation so that i can help other people get out of the well and i mean when and it's so true you know, because like even with my 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 uh, experience in Ten City, like had i not gone through that and gone through the the dark, dark, dark issues of it. I wouldn't have my screenplay. Yeah. And um, that's a pretty powerful movie. The the screenplay that I'm working on. I'm working on it with the team. Of, yeah, I, we're we're just finishing the, the writing, the development stages of the movie. Um, it's um. Basically, it, it's done film style, but it's intended to educate you like a documentary. Yeah. Um, about the real life of being homeless. Um, the real life that, you know, like, most people weren't homeless. Like, they, they weren't addicts before they were homeless or something happened to them to make them homeless. You, you know what I mean? Like, everybody comes to the story, whether it's good or bad. And at the end of the day, it's how you take your life situations and you deal with them. Cause you only have two options. You either dwell on them and you don't evolve or you get a hold of them and try to deal with them and try to understand them. So you can at least progress to tomorrow. Yeah. Because I don't know. I don't like stagnant. <laughs> it, no, it, no. it drives me crazy. So like, even when I'm like, like, being, being home with this COVID-19, I yeah. feel very stagnant. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great opportunity to work on stuff like screenplays and, and other. Right. Well, yeah, it's been a great opportunity to work that. I'm working on a, I'm working on a small business as well. So. What's the business? I'm working on started. Well, I am going to start an edibles business, but not just edibles. Like not just edibles, like just because they're cannabis based, but because of becoming homeless and my struggles in the past three years, like I suffer from anxiety and from depression. And I, I drove into this idea with my partner. Um, and so I decided to research recipes about, you know, things that curb different, different ailments like depression, insomnia, um, chronic pain and whatnot. And it was, it started off as a way for me to like make myself some, 
something so I didn't have to resort to medication. And mm-hmm. the more I research, the more I do, and the more people I know, and the more that, especially now that COVID 19 here, and people who didn't know what anxiety was before or thought that it was a joke, probably definitely would agree with anybody who's been suffering for it for years. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we live in pretty anxious times right now. We live in uncertain times. Like everything's changed. It doesn't matter where you go, things are different than they were a month ago. And that's very true. You know, like basically like how my life was. So I see this COVID-19. Am I scared? I'm probably worried because like I already have lung issues, but um I don't know, I learned some pretty good survival skills, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you, <laughs> you know, like you said before, I think you still have got some stuff to do. So I think you're going to be. Gonna I have be a lot of stuff. To do. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is this is um, going to pass. And me getting on the and me getting on the Greater Moncton uh, Homeless Steering Committee. That's just one of those things that I really have to do. This your story I need to just be a like voice. blows my mind. <laughs> I need to be a voice for the people. You do, um, yeah. You should. There's and there's a reason I feel that and. Man, it's it's weird how sometimes you have to go through something so tragic or you have to hit rock bottom to like wake yourself up and to jar you to like, holy, like that is what I was supposed to be doing if I yeah. hadn't just like messed up for this many. And um becoming oh my gosh, becoming homeless, like it was it was my rock bottom, but it was also like it was meant to happen because I was able to understand what I was, what I was supposed to do. And when I started being a voice for Tent City and for Tent City to become a legal spot and getting the city involved, the more inspired I was once like I was seeing seeing physical help being done like by the city, various organizations. And then the director of Reconnect started having um, media come and talk to me about Tent City. And that is when I used to hear my grandfather's voice in the back of my head. Uh, most, yeah. Right? And I'm just thinking of all those times I was in those constituency offices, listening to him, telling the people that he was going to fight for whatever he, whatever your human right is. If it's in that act, I'm fighting, I'm fighting with you for it. And I have the same drive. You know, I've been with partners who've even been incarcerated and you see the life on that side. Um, man, like, Human rights is a big thing. People like right now when people have a lot of time to think and they're not doing very much. Yeah. People should actually start to, think about start to actually put their, you know, put perspectives differently and priorities. I'm pretty sure everybody's already thinking, like, wow, like that really wasn't a priority. Yeah. Like why did I spend so much time focused on it? Exactly. Yeah. Starting to see <laughs> you know? the true value of things, what really matters. It's the little things that matter. Yeah. Like when I started seeing around like around the nation and around the country, around the globe. And, you know, one of the first things that I noticed was that there was no NHL. Right. Yeah. And then there was, then the Olympics were canceled. Right. Yeah. And it's just like, I get those are things that we, that we've grown to have in our life. But at the end of the day, when it comes to your personal day to day, whether that hockey player is on that ice scoring a goal, or whether anybody else is doing it, or you know, even me making a film or whatever, at the end of the day, it's the little things in life that matter because without those little things, you'll never have the bigger things. That's true. And I've always told, like, even my kids growing up, you know, 
we may not have a lot of money. We may struggle, but you know, you're probably one of the wealthiest kids on the block because you've got a mom who just wants to be your mom. Exactly. And, and, yeah. You know, and I guess that's just that, right? Yeah. You're and on the head again. <laughs> right. And it's yeah. just, you know, like I always raise my kids. Like they, I want them to be people. I wanted them to be independent. I wanted them to be, and I really wanted them to be confident because a lot of those things, my confidence, my self-esteem and all those kinds of things. When I raised them, I feared it for them. And not because, you know, that they were, they were sick or anything. I have, you know, both of them are college graduates have their own families. Like they've got, they've, they're doing life. And, uh, but it was the fact of um, them being teased because their mom was an amputee. And I know what I went through being the amputee. My daughter didn't go through it so much, but my son had a few battles on the school ground about having a mom with one leg or whatever. Or, yeah. You know? So I feared for him. I'm like, oh, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. This isn't happening. This, I'm stopping this before this ever starts. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I tried really hard to... The things that, that I stick to this day, I, if I'm talking to you about it, I'm I probably still in the recovery process of it. Actually, that part I don't think will ever go away, me dealing with my cancer thing, because like, I have a constant daily reminder. It's how I live my every day that's going to get me through it. And mm -hmm. that's exactly how I raise my kids. Like, you'll be handed a million cards. You'll be handed a million hands of cards in your lifetime. But how you play those cards is how it's what's going to give you the next direction on your path of life. You know, the interesting thing about that is that that same daily reminder that you have that is terrible. At the same time, it, there exists the reminder that same of that same competitive drive that you have. The same competitive oh. drive that you've used to overcome and accomplish all these different things in your life and you're still continuing to, to use. So without, you know, without that tragedy, tragedy, you might not have that competitive drive that you have now. Cause let me tell oh, you, you what? I completely, completely agree with you. Everybody yeah. I know tells me like, you know, you're one of the strongest people I know. You're one of the strongest people I know. And I'm like, you know, if I, if that card, if any of those cards in my hand when I was going through cancer would have dropped out of my hand or I would have, or I would have not played any of those cards, right? I, I, I wouldn't probably be standing here being the same person. I would have been a totally different person. I was still athletic prior to being um, an amputee. So I had some of that competitive edge, but after losing my leg and, and realizing and especially in the early 80s when, like, the reason my parents battled so much with the school board is because at that time, Ontario still had schools that were functioning for individuals who were disabled. And, um, I don't know, segregation's already been out of our constitution for a while. And so I said to my parents, I was like, I'm not going there. I'm going to the same school that I went to before I got sick. Yeah. There's no reason. There's no reason for it. Just because I lost my leg, big deal. Like I still have my brain. I just proved that I'm already um, a decent student academically because I just passed my grade six year and I'm, you know, trying to trying to battle my life. So you know, I think that whole cancer experience, it really, 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 truthfully, like the competitive edge. 
Like, there's days I even find that I didn't compete with myself. Like, you know what? I just want to sort of interrupt for a second and just say that you have been through severe challenges from your cancer to your the bullying and the addiction and living in Tent City and, and everything that in between and beyond. Right. But yeah. like you said, that has given you the drive to help humanity and be humanitarian, which is what Tent City helped you see. Right. Now, it sounds to me like you have an even bigger challenge to tackle than all the other challenges before you combined. Because now it sounds like your challenge is to help make a difference in society and humanity by being humanitarian and carry on that torch that your grandfather Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you got it like dead on. Yeah. Um, and this COVID-19 thing, like, I understand that the health, the health perspective Perspective of it is what's scaring people but i see the bigger picture when we come out of this yeah you know i really hope i really really truthfully hope that that i'm right when i say that we're gonna see a lot of nicer people on the street we're yeah. gonna see people who aren't gonna take life for granted because you've basically been on house arrest for a while and you know it gives you a different light I I totally agree. I think a lot of people are on the same page with that one. Were and when you see, and when when I saw the 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 pyramid tier of everything that we thought that was a priority, and those were the first things hit with this COVID nineteen, I was like, "This is about change," and I got so excited. And I have a friend who advocates with me, and she comes over. She's like in this COVID-19 thing. And I'm like, but think of it from a positive perspective. And she's like, positive. You know, you got to understand, she's standing like her two meters. She's got gloves on. And this is like my best friend, right? <laughs> and I'm like, but come on, girl, you got to see the biggest, pic bigger picture. Our voices are going to be heard now. Like people are going to listen to those who are, who are trying to help others because yeah. you've been stuck at home and trying to help yourself for a while. And I know for myself, like, I love life, but there's some days, you know, I just don't want to be trapped in my own head. So that's where you have the freedom living in Canada, of being able to, you know, go out your door and just go for an adventure to just, just to live. And um, I don't know, I, I truthfully hope that I see a bigger picture with this COVID-19 thing. I see that we're going to, maybe we're not going to have a perfect, perfect world. We'll never have a perfect world. Um, but I do believe it'll be a lot less chaotic. Um, yeah, I just think it'll be a lot less chaotic because the things that we once thought that were priorities, which are all those A-list things that North America puts in the media that, we, that they tell us that we need. Yeah. You know, all those things aren't happening right now. So people are just living there, right? Mm -hmm. They've got no, yeah, and I, and I, and I dig it, right? I'm waiting for the, for the opposite side already. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm excited for by, myself. Yeah. yeah, because I just see like, you know, my advocacy could just actually be a voice right now. Yeah. People are at home people are at home to listen. Yeah. That's why I'm doing this right now. <laughs> right? I'm surprised. I'm so surprised that the internet hasn't crashed with so many people globally being home and being like stuck on the internet. The funny thing is... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I better not chase it. <laughs> I, I think I think all the 
big social media companies prepared for their servers for this. <laughs> well, when I started seeing a listings going first, I kind of thought, you know, like people knew about this long before it, it hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. When it originated in But you know, China there's like there's like every other it's just like every other battle in life. Life happens and and this is to everybody, you know, like we're all like right now we all have a common denominator and that's COVID nineteen. And you know it's it's a tra- it's a tragedy when you when you sit there and you have the fear of it of this pandemic, but you got to remain positive because if you don't, you're just gonna fall into it. Well, that's right. And I mean, when you when you dwell and when you're depressed, we all know that when we're depressed, we start feeling our stomach start hurting, you know, yeah. our bowels aren't running right, we get headaches. You know, these are all common things when we're stressed out. Mm-hmm. And now that you, you know, it's, it's how you play those cards. It's just how you play those cards, and everything that that has a negative, there, there's, in my opinion, there's always got to be a positive, some in there somewhere. So you may not help everybody, but if you can reach out to even a handful of people, well, then those handful of people might just reach out to a couple more people, and those couple more people, right? And before you know it. Will have change, positive change. Exactly. Change, change where people and, and it's in in my with me, it's it's stigmas and stereotypes. Like the media has done a fine job of making, uh, you know, really emphasizing stigmas and stereotypes in today's society. Mm-hmm. And it's a sad thing because you know we've evolved to the point where you know disabled are accepted. You know the country is what ninety percent accessible um we've succumbed all kinds of other things and so this is just one of those other things that we'll get through exactly and i mean just as we went through our own transformations individually i mean this is this is humanity's collective uh tragedy that we're going to overcome what is what oh, absolutely yeah it's going to make us stronger just like our own tragedies do right so, yeah, which to me excites me, you know, I started to get excited about challenges and like, oh, yes, this, this really sucks. Uh, I'm excited because I know it's going to be, you know, I'm going to be a lot stronger than I was before now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know. And, and I don't know, I've been like, you know, you know, I clean my house, like my hands are sanitized. My partner went to a, went through a phase. We even had a sanitizing station, like right at our front door. And then I'm like, okay. And then when they made it like, you know, like have like less socializing, I thought, okay, no, we can get rid of this station. But anyways, but um, there would never, we would never be where we are today if we didn't have transformation to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and it's one of the things that people struggle with the most. Um, That's right. You know, like going through like my transition, like, you know, going from cancer and then the transition from homelessness to um, being in my own home, that was overwhelming for a bit. My first night, it was raining. It was raining so hard. And when I went to bed, I put a flashlight on my end table. I don't even know why I did that. Like, I could turn on my switch, right? Just flick it and my light would be on. Um, and then I heard it rain. As soon as I heard the rain, I grabbed my flashlight to turn it on because I thought I needed to go fix my tarps. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> the subconscious patterns were still there. Right? You had to reprogram. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, wow, Shannon, like the rain's not coming in your house anytime soon. Wow. And, and my partner was in here. My partner was currently incarcerated. And so it was like, wow, okay. I didn't even have him to like, to rely on and to like get through that struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a while. It, it was a while. There was a lot of things that like I had troubles. They not, not, I couldn't do them. I just, I was so overwhelmed that I had them again. Mm-hmm. And while I spent most of my life telling my kids and telling myself like, no, you can't take life for granted. You can't take people for granted. You can't, you know, can't for granted, for granted. And it was one thing I did, <laughs> you know, I, I took, I guess I took some things for granted, but um, I believe that I would not have, um, I was meant to, I was meant to be intensity. I was meant to, but I don't think I, like, there's days when I think like, I don't even know how I did it. Can, can you do now that I now that I've gone through that transformation of I've been in my own place for seven months now, going on eight, and while I absolutely like I love having my my place and it's home, I have a front door and I have a back door. I don't know how many times a day I can sit on my couch and I'm still looking out my front door and I'm still looking out my back door. And it's from having, from being on the street, from having to take care of myself, <laughs> not realizing, you know, like, like chick, like you are sitting on your couch and your doors are locked. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just the, the mind struggle. And, and, uh, it's just keeping a positive, positive mind. I, I don't believe in dwelling. I just, no, yeah. you know, like my parents and those who are close to me and, didn't allow me to dwell when I was younger, when I very well could have. And so now like I have, I I really battle with that bad. Like when there's dwellers or there's people complaining about certain things. And it's just like, let me tell you a story because you want to know something. Yeah. Your two feet might hurt right now, but I don't complain, but like I use crutches right now because my prosthetic isn't quite finished, but I just walked like from Albert street to mountain road on crutches. <laughs> wow. As I'm not trying to make myself look like a superhero right now, but um, everybody has their daily struggle and mm-hmm. it's how you deal with your daily struggle. You you would have never known that I was sore and really didn't want to walk today because I don't talk about it because who's going to listen anyways. <laughs> but Nobody wants to, nobody really wants to hear that, right? Yeah. Like, well, and, though, and, that, and that's where I feel like that it's not conceit. It's not to make myself look better than everybody else. It's just to see that we are all different in some way. But at the end of the day, we're all humans. And my job is humans. So, um. Yeah, that just sums it up. My job is humans. My job, <laughs> my job isn't like necessarily, that. you know, conditions and and whatnot. If you're a human and you need something and I can help you, I'm gonna help you. 
And if I got to put myself in the middle of things, like I've gotten myself into some controversial conversations since I've been in Moncton. So like um, I've done a few documentaries, like the one on the Harvest House and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I did 10 City. I've become quite a voice. I just want to say it's pretty interesting that you make documentaries yourself and you're a filmmaker and then you happen to be in Tent City during a time when they made the documentary. Right? And you know what's even more funny about that? Is that when I teamed up, one of the, one of the writers is a professor of mine from film school. And he said to me, he's like, girl, I have never seen anybody with such a marketing scheme. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, we're about to, we're about to write this film for you, right? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, and you're already doing all the publicity. <laughs> he's like, you're already out there. Like, you're in documentaries. <laughs> you're at film festival Q and A's. You're at CBC doing early morning broadcasts. You're sitting on your couch with the newspaper or or any other news outlet. I'm like, yeah. And I go, it's what I do. I go, how, how else do you be a voice? I can, I, can, I can burn my partner's ears off and talk about it all day long, but unless I'm going to go up there and actually do what I'm saying, what good is it talking about it? The only way to get change is to get physical. So <laughs> exactly. let's, let's get it done. <laughs> you know? Action, make it happen. Yeah. Nike has the best slogan, just do it. They do. Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> so you overcame addiction. How did you leave Tent City? Like, how how did you get out of that? Like, what? Okay. So last summer, um, we were my partner and I were hitting rock bottom. Like, we were hitting rock bottom in our relationship. We were both using, and he had come to me and told me, like, you know, like Shannon, like I'm done with this. Like, we've got to we've got to make a plan. We've got to get out of here. And just looking at his face that day, wow. I still have that, that, that drove me to get a place you don't even understand. You talk about me being competitive. I never felt like as if I was in the middle of a challenge. Because <laughs> here I am living in intensity and I want a place now. And um, some workers from the Selvis Clinic and John Howard had just, what, we were in the middle of this conversation and they had come into Tent City and I could hear them from our tent plot. And I'm like, hon, I'll be right back. And I felt rude too, because like I wasn't really telling him why I was leaving. I called them both over and I said, my name's already on the housing list. And I have already taken this too far. I have got all the stories I need for my film, plus some. <laughs> I, need, I need to get my partner home. I need to get my partner into a house. I need my partner to feel like he's him again. And we got word that we had a place and then um, he got arrested. So I spent the last 30 days in t 31 days in 10 city by myself. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. Was how I sum it up too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because the beautiful 10 city that um, our mutual friend Colleen was able to create in that marvelous documentary she did. Life, how she portrayed it in that documentary, is exactly how Ten City was that day and was shortly after that day. But then once the population grew and certain, and certain individuals came and decided to turn it into, you know, 
this is what I do, so this is how Ten City is going to be. Yeah. It wasn't so cool anymore because now it wasn't about, you know, going out there, you know, starting a fire. Anybody want a coffee this morning? Anybody need a smoke? You know, it's something like that. It was survival, like, tenfold. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow. Like, wow. Like, you know, um, it became, it became... It became a true nightmare, and especially being there alone. Oh man, I don't wish that upon any upon any female either. No, not by any stretch of the imagination. So, once I went to the workers and told them I needed a place, my partner got arrested, and just before he got arrested, I had already made the decision that I was already hitting rock bottom. My kids, my grandkids, my parents, everybody's in Ontario. They think that I'm okay. I was far from okay. Far from okay. Yeah. I was mentally struggling. It was a... If my partner wasn't with me for the like, through this journey in the past three years, I don't even know if I would have survived it. Because just like my grandfather and just like my father, he can be that rock. Yeah. You know? And then when it wasn't there, you know, again, like my grandfather passing away and me going, coming home, I realized what I needed to do with my life. It was the same reality. All those street skills, all those, you know, little messages, all those little warnings that, you know, once, when we, when we end up on the street and he's street smart. And so I couldn't, I, I, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have survived it. That's for sure. That's for sure. It was. I'm I'm happy that you had that support. So am I. To get through it. Yeah. Yeah. And And uh, even with COVID-19 now, you know, like, sure. It's a struggle, you know, like everybody's stressed out, you know, like who wants to be cooped up all the time? Mm-hmm. Sure, there's homebodies, you know, but you have, but even being a homebody, you have the option. If you wanted to go to the door, you have that option. Like you wanted to go to the mall, you wanted to go for to the park, whatever. You had that option. Today, you don't. Yeah. And so I understand that, you know, everybody's stressed out. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, those who love you and those who are sticking by you, keep them close today. Keep keep them close to you because. You know, not ev- not everybody's blessed with such a support system. I second that one. So I want to hear your long-term goals or maybe even short-term because it seems like you have these different visions, maybe somebody Well, I have mentioned. a vision because some of them fall into each other. Like my screenplay, um, I have a TV series that I'll keep almost kind of quiet. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, the TV series can coincide with my edibles business and that in itself could be like, I don't know, the next great marketing scheme. (laughs) 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 So um, that's one project I have under my belt um, that I'm really actively working on. Uh, And I'm not just about having a business so I can line my pockets. My, my intention is to, support my advocacy and to 
don't know, maybe create a foundation of my own where I can help others. Like the help was there for me. And one of those things would be affordable housing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I would be the one I'd be the, I would be the property builder that would build that brand new condo and have geared to income everywhere. Just because that's what we need. Yeah, we totally do. And, you know, and just because you're low income and just because you're homeless at the time and your situation might be wrong, it does not mean that you're, that you're trash. It doesn't mean that you're a waste of society. It doesn't mean that you're lazy or, you're, or even that you're an addict. No, not at because all. I've met people on the street who don't use anything. And their situation is what made them homeless. Losing a job. You know, most Canadians live paycheck to paycheck. So it's not surprising that our numbers are high in, the home, in, in homelessness. So, you know, everybody comes with a story, and until you know that story, I don't think we're in a position to be placing stigmas and stereotypes. 100%. I agree. Because, I, I don't know, I've always been told that, you know, no one's perfect. No. Well, then why do we have stigmas and stereotypes? Because people are looking for perfection. Exactly. Yeah. Because the media has brainwashed us to think that that's what we need. <laughs> Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're looking at a new car, if you're looking to buy a new house, like it, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. North American media has made it possible for you, you know, to dream, to dream the dream, right? Yeah, exactly. Not all dream, not all, some dreams are just that. Some dreams are actually dreams and other mm -hmm. things are realistic and can be attainable. And those things will be so much more rewarding in the end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So follow what tr you know the, the things that matter. What truly makes you happy. Follow your passion. That that's the most fulfilling thing. And go for it. You yeah. may not. You may not. You know, come out as like number one. But the fact that you just tried, you could be number one within yourself to your confidence and your self esteem. Those things. Those things shine bright. Exactly. You know, each day and each you know? thing that we do, it's just more experience points. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I definitely agree with that. So I totally see all your visions coming to fruition. You know, this is just the beginning of anything that you, you've dreamed of, I think, because I, I just see your drive. I, I feel and hear and see your passion and just looking at your past and how you've already overcome so many different challenges, there's no doubt that you're going to be able to tackle this one. And you have a really good way of expressing yourself and connecting with your stories and the emotions behind them. And you're really going to speak to a lot of people I mean, you already have and you. you are now and you are going to in the future. So I'm you know, on Facebook, on Facebook, whether you're, well, I think you have me on Facebook now, but any, yes. to anybody who's listening too, if you, if you happen to look for me on Facebook, Shannon Camilleri or Pink Mist Productions, I have a series on Facebook that I started and it was for me to curb my emotions from going, living in a life of an addict to a life of sobriety. And it's a food porn series. I love to cook. 
my partner and I love to cook together. We have so much fun with cooking. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, it's just one of those common things. You, know, you turn on the music exactly. and you just like groove with it, right? Yeah. It's so much fun. Bring Anybody who doesn't cook with their partner, they should give it a try. You got lots of time right now. But, <laughs> 100%. I love cooking with <laughs> right? my partner too. But um, I didn't have that either. And I was battling the struggle of him not being here alone and dealing with what I dealt with intensity, the transformation of having my own place. Those early months of my sobriety, you have no idea how many hours every day that I didn't want to be sober. And, you know, knowing that my partner was forced to be sober, the least I could do for him was to be sober when he got home. Mm -hmm. And And I did that. I just have to ask before, before we continue, like, how did you, how do you manage to stay sober? I mean, you said you did it without methadone. Like, that's just another, yeah, another amazing feat you know, that you I demonstrated. Was, and I was using crystal methamphetamine and yeah. that stuff's consuming. Yeah. Um, meth hates people and it hates yeah. relationships. And, um, my relationship meant something to me. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner is not just my partner. He's been my best friend for 23 years. Yeah. And we've battled. We can, we've had our battle. And I stay sober because I, I, those things in my life matter to me. And I won't have them if I'm not sober. I won't have my business if I'm not sober. I won't have my kids and my grandkids and my parents if I'm not sober. I won't have my partner if I'm not sober. And if I don't have my partner, then I don't have my best friend and I don't have my rock and I don't have the stability. My life isn't perfect, but my life is more stable than it was. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I honestly, I look at the bad and I, I think, that most days I just, that's what I use as my motivation to be positive. Because I get asked that question so many times and it's so hard for me to answer it most times because it's like, I don't know one thing that, that, you know, gives me the drive. Like my best friend, who's also an advocate, she tells me all the time that I'm a diamond in a rough and diamond in the rough. And I finally asked her what she meant by that. And she said, you are the only person I know and, you know, she, she lived in Red Deer, so she knows what life's about, too. And she goes, I've never seen somebody get sober right in the middle of, of the situation that they were in when they were using. Yeah. Because I, I was still in 10 City. That's profound. My, my relationship in, with, with my partner, my relationship with my children, like, it was rock bottom. Like, I really felt like as if I was sinking into a hole that I really, I wasn't going to be able to get my out of. It was the first time that I felt like I couldn't use my competitive edge. I had no way to, it was me against what the rest of society was, or was it me against me? Because I was the addict. I needed to get myself out. So from my perspective, it sounds like what keeps you, or what got you sober, what keeps you sober is counting your blessings and all that you have in your life and, and the, the things that you want to sustain and your drive to, 
to sustain them and your drive to also just uh, make these new things happen. Things that are beyond yourself, such as being humanitarian and making these documentaries. So, and it's so funny because these, this philosophy is so simple, you know, count your blessings, be grateful what you have, sustain them, and then have, have something in mind that you want to achieve, even if it's just sustaining what you already have and just do it. And you're a prime example of just doing that. Sounds simple. Yeah. It's just, it's just you're the only difference between other people and you is that you're the one you know, that does it. When I, when I, when I speak of it too, like a lot of people say like, you make it sound so easy. It's the farthest thing from being easy. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and I've always been told that, you know, you'll never get out what you put in unless you put in. So if you don't put in the hard work, whether it's on yourself, whether it's your job, whether it's your part, your relationship, regardless of what it is, if you don't put in the work, don't expect the results that you're thinking of in your head because you're never going to achieve it. It all starts within you can't love somebody else unless you love yourself you can't take care of others unless you take care of yourself mm-hmm. you know um i live by that like i just i just uh i, I also believe in treating people the way you want to be treated and um and especially when it comes to stereotypes and stigmas like you know this all started with me when i lost my leg and me being the amputee, like I just didn't see that, like you know, that I had a bigger vision. Like me being an amputee was just part of, part of this journey, into my road of um, being an advocate and being about human rights. Because there's so many, there's so many aspects of my life where I could be like, where everything just falls into falls into place, and I, and you know, and sometimes when you're living your own life, you don't see the life you should be living, right? Because you're so you're so consumed with that that current path, mm-hmm. and that current path becomes a comfort zone, and the second it becomes a comfort zone, that's when you got to have a little conversation with yourself. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's when you got to say to yourself, like is this really what I want? Is this, is this when I die, is this how I want people to remember me? It doesn't mean you got to be, you know, you you don't got to be famous, but I I would hope that most of us want to go out of this world with people having some nice things to say about us. Hey, you know, what's funny about that is the ancient Greek philosophy, uh, stoicism, they practiced imagining your death and what, people would say at your funeral and how you'd be remembered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just a fun fact. <laughs> so yeah. you, you probably do that naturally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. When I die, there better be, I don't know, maybe some skis and, and an editing suite there or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And if yeah. I ever get a medal for humanitarian, like that should be right there with me. You know, I want to see, I want to see you make a big impact. So I think, I think it'll come. Yeah. I just wanted to say, I guess, before we continue is go back to the beginning where we, you know, you mentioned how nobody truly knows what, you, what you've been through until they've been there. And yeah. that's, I can relate to that. I understand that completely. And I have a a story which maybe I'll share on like a podcast of its own, but I'll just quickly mention that one point in my life, 
I got rid of everything I owned and I wanted to feel what it was like to have absolutely nothing so that I could understand people more and to have more of a connection to that, mm -hmm. that part of life for some people. And so anyways, I got rid of most of my stuff. I almost honestly gave away my car, but it's pretty much the only thing I kept. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess long story short, I, I went and I gave the stuff, a bunch of stuff in a book bag to homeless man and he thought I was going to leave. And I was like, no, like, I, I just want to spend a night with you. I just want to, I want to know what it's like to be homeless. And yeah, I, I spent the night with him and it was really profound. Let me tell you. And, and it really gave me like a, a taste of what it was like through his stories and just me walking around with him and, and being with him. And I, you see, and that's the problem with today's society. Yeah. Like, you know, not everybody would take that step that you did. No. Right? Yeah. And that's why the stigmas and stereotypes, I don't know when they're going to leave homelessness. I truthfully don't. Because I know it really, really bothers me because coming from this five-star lifestyle and then being homeless and me seeing it with my own eyes, like now I'm being treated that way too, right? I saw it before. Um, and I was just like, wow, people are really like that. People, humans are really like that. I remember wow. him looking around, like trying to find a, a safe place to sleep so that he didn't get like mugged while he was sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Just stuff like yeah. that. I, I eventually, I stayed till like five in the morning and I, around there, I had to leave. Oh, I, I would have spent the night with him, but literally like I had to leave because I, I was scared. Oh, no, I, wasn't, I, I wasn't scared for my life, but because I, I honestly don't have fear, but Right. I, I was being very careful because uh, somebody who was obviously under the influence was showing us his knife. So yeah, I had to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, you yeah, don't was... realize how much of a commodity a big lighter is until you're homeless. <laughs> yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> because you protect that lighter like it's nothing else. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> So if there's one thing that you want to leave people with today, is there anything else you want to say like, that you'd like to leave the audience with? Or, or, I just want people to know, like, you know, I'm, I'm here because I have a story. I'm here because I'm willing to be a voice and tell my story. But I'm not the only one that has a story. I'm not the only one that has a voice. And I would just hope that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, that, that job, that car in your driveway, or that beautiful home that you go home to, those are all beautiful things. They're all beautiful, tangible. But sometimes in life, the things that we can't touch are the things that we should hold closer and keep close to us because those small things are what can leave you with a legacy of being a wealthy individual. Those are very wise words, and that's the the true meaning of life, right there. You know. I, I, yeah, I don't measure I don't measure wealth by how many dollars a person has. I measure wealth by how many good things a person can do. You know, it doesn't have to be great things. Like, it doesn't mean you have to you know win a Nobel Peace Prize to be considered a great person. No. Just random acts of kindness, holding a door open for somebody, saying please and thank you. 
exactly being authentic. Saying story, <laughs> saying story when you're wrong and meaning it. You know, uh -huh. those things, those are the things we can't touch those things, but we can feel those things the most. Yeah. They're, they're the things that make us feel the best. And they're also the things that make us feel the worst on the opposite spectrum of them when we, when we don't do those most things. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Most so, definitely. so they're most important on both both sides you know they, they play the yeah. biggest impact the small things so well i will link your uh, i don't know if it's facebook or youtube links on, on the show notes for like, everybody i have i have um youtube and facebook okay that's awesome i'm glad you do all uh, right those gotta fill up <laughs> all right <laughs> but yeah thank, thank you so much for talking to me i mean you're, you're amazing well, thank you so much for, for yeah. having me it was uh you know, everybody says I have a story. I've had so many people before I left and came came to the East Coast. Uh -huh. I even people saying like, "When are you going to write that book?" Uh -huh. I'm like, yeah. "What book?" I'm like, "I'm not writing no book." Uh, got a documentary. <laughs> but they're like, "Shit, but you have a story." But you yeah. know, but even me writing this screenplay, the screenplay is nothing compared to my film biography that I have in my head. So anybody who like wants to see a biography that's more marvel style well i'll be writing that bio i'm writing that biography <laughs> that sounds awesome i want to see it sure. right <laughs> you got me intrigued yeah, you know like like your uh, professor said you, you've got quite the marketing scheme like i already want to buy everything that you you talked about <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, when it comes to my creativity and even my business like I know it's hard work to get a business up and going and whatnot. And it's just like, I'm already thinking of the marketing. Like I'm already like in my head, like we're already there. Type of thing. <laughs> but, we'll, but we'll see. Right. Hey, you know, that's the mindset of success. You know, keep that. It is. Cause that'll yeah. drive your actions to, to bring that to fruition, you know? Yeah. If this dream doesn't succeed, but we'll just dream on another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, I really connected with your story. I'm sure whoever's listening is definitely connecting with it too. And uh, thank you so much again for coming on. Like you're an amazing person. So inspiring, very touching, uh, empowering. Like, you know, it makes me want to do more in my own life. Just talk well, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm sure anybody who's listening can, can agree with that. And, you know, your beautiful soul. Keep up your good work. And, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was nice talking to you. And awesome talking to you anytime. <laughs>